Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Uh, this is Oilers Now. It's 1235 in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer with you. We just had Theodore Lenstrom on the show. Defenseman signed out of Prolenda. Left shot again. I had someone suggest to me could potentially be a bit like Nicholas Jarmelson. Uh, he says he thinks he plays more like Matthias Ekholm. That's a pretty good defenseman. That's a good guy to try to model your game after. Uh, we had Gaetan Haas on the air yesterday after he signed his one-year extension. Uh, the Oilers made a couple other little moves today. Marcus Niemelainen, that's official. He's going to play next year in Bakersfield. And a guy we mentioned, uh, I think we mentioned a you know a WHL uh, top scorer maybe signing yeah, on yesterday's show. Well, James Hamlin has committed on an AHL deal uh, to the Oilers organization. Uh, Hamlin's at a Southside Athletic Club in Edmonton. He was on a team with Tyler Benson and Stuart Skinner back in that 12-13 lockout year. Uh, was one of the top scorers for Willie Desjardins and the Medicine Hat Tigers this year. The uh, Oilers also on AHL deals got Luke Esposito and their captain, Brad Malone, uh, to go from an NHL to an AHL deal. So they're trying to build greater depth in the American Hockey League. Would not surprise uh, me if the Oilers signed at least two more forwards on NHL deals, primarily target to play in the American Hockey League, maybe one guy returning from Europe here uh, shortly. All right, uh, that's a bit of a rundown. We're going to bring aboard Louis DeBrusque. is our headliner today for touchback safety. Touchback remains open for training, taking all necessary precautions to ensure the safety of their staff and clients at this time. Hello, Louis. How are you doing? Hey, Bob. How are you doing today? Good. Look, uh, just before we get to the here and now, I want to take a trip down memory lane and talk okay. a bit. Uh, this is the anniversary of Steve Smith, who had one of the toughest things ever happen in a guy's career. You know, bank of the pocket off of Grand Fuhrer back in 86 on his birthday, no less. And uh, the Oilers were unable to get the game tire in the final 14 minutes of that game. But what does it say to you about Steve Smith's character? that he was able to use that to make himself a better player. And you watched him in 88-90 in those finals against Boston as you were playing growing up. I mean, he was the Oilers' best defenseman by that point. I think it speaks volumes, doesn't it? 
It does. And obviously it kind of hit close to home for me at the time because I was playing for the London Knights and, and just talking about that. Um, he was an ex-London Knight and obviously uh, was a big player there. So, you know, you always kind of followed the players that came through your respective junior team. So he was a guy that I followed. And to have that happen to him, the thing I always remember, though, after that, that puck going off the skate, and that was just the plays made, you know, hundreds of thousands of times, just a, a D to D coming around the net, make that pass, it goes off a skate. He just was looking at the pass, and it just, it just was a fluke, really. But for me, I always remember the picture the next year when they won the Cup. And yep. just the the joy, almost tears in his eyes and the celebration. And, the, and we and that picture was up at the time in the London Gardens. Uh, Don Brankley, the longtime trainer, had that picture up there of him holding that cup. And it was just, you know, for me, I always remember that, you know, he persevered. He went through that. He put it to rest. And then they came back and won back-to-back Stanley Cups. And you know what? Um, just that picture, though, in the 87 Cup of him individually holding it up. And you could tell he was beaten. He was bruised. You know, the shirt was ripped. He was just, you know, you could just tell he was, you know, had gone through another war. But uh, it just goes to show you, you know, bad things happen on the ice sometimes and you have to shake it off. That's a real tough one to shake off, obviously, in such a crucial time. But, you know, almost for every goal that you watch, every great goal, every goal in the playoffs, there's something that went wrong on the opposition to allow that to happen. And that was just one that was right in front of his net. It was a total fluke. Well, I mean, he had a, let's face it, the guy had a great career. You know, he ended up playing 800 games in the National. He finished his career the final three seasons. Final couple of years, he was injury-prone a bit in Calgary late in his career. But he played the, you know, basically seven seasons in Edmonton. Uh, was a critical part of some really good teams. Louis, this is a defenseman that had over 50 points and over, you know, just look at the numbers in 87-88 alone. Double-digit goals, 50. 55 points and 286 minutes in penalties in 1988. I mean, you know, he had over 50 points three separate times in his NHL career. He had double-digit goals three separate times. He had over 200 penalty minutes three separate times in his NHL career. Like, that's – there's no defenseman like that anymore, Louie, that have those sort of numbers. Well, you know, it's like a – it's – it's very rare. Very rare to have a defenseman that has that offensive up, upside that he had to be able to play the minutes and the type of game that he played, but also have a nastiness. Chris Pronger comes to mind as another guy that had that, was just a tremendous player, but had that viciousness to his game. And Steve Smith had that viciousness, even coming into the league, you know, as a tough guy. I knew I had to be aware of him on the ice. He was one of those big guys. I mean, he's a, a large individual. You know him very well as I do. He's just a big yep. guy. And you know what? He wasn't afraid to throw the gloves down and, and chuck the dukes. And I think he built that reputation more so in early in his career. And then those cagey veteran players, which he became, he just knew when to push that button, when to give you that vicious cross check, when to give you the chirp, uh, to allow him to play the game the way he wanted to play the game. And uh, the best of both worlds, really, a guy you could put out there in any situation, but also a guy that when the tough got going, um, he just got tougher. In the Oilers, eighty-nine, ninety Stanley Cup playoff run steve smith had five goals and 15 points in 22 games like uh, those are pretty good offensive numbers uh that was uh, one of the, the the toughest playoff losses um we talked uh, yesterday was today's steve smith's birthday yesterday was curtis joseph's birthday you were with the team in 97 uh, i still think the 98 comeback against colorado down 3-1 
where Cujo outdueled Patrick Waugh, shutting out the Avalanche, the Colorado Avalanche. That team could score, Louie. That team had a ton of talent. He he got two shutouts in the final three games, stopped 92 out of 93 shots, um, beat Patrick Waugh head-to-head, winning two games in Denver. Pretty spectacular. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I don't know if Curtis is a Hall of Famer, but... The Oilers don't beat Dallas in 97, and sure in heck don't beat Colorado in 98 without Curtis Joseph. Not a chance. And I was with him in 97 um, and watched how he dismantled the Stars in that first round. And, you know, we were huge underdogs going into that series. And if it wasn't for Cujo, like, there's just no there's no way that we would have won that series. I mean, he was that outstanding, especially in Game 7. He made some game-breaking saves late in that game. I believe one on Neuendijk, Madonna, we stoned one time. I mean... The game was over. Let's just put it that way, if it wasn't for him. And then, you know, I left after that, but then to see what he did the next year didn't surprise me at all. Uh, he was one of those guys that just was a, a big game player. Uh, when it mattered the most seemed to be when he dialed it in the most. And, you know, it's it's funny because we always talk about goaltenders being a little bit, you know, off. They're a little strange. Cujo was one of the most normal goaltenders ever. Billy Ranford, for that matter, was too. But, you know, for Cujo, he kind of just liked the regular preparation of other players. I used to play ping pong with him before games. He would talk to you. He wasn't in the, he, he didn't dial himself in mentally like you see goaltenders nowadays do. Some of them do, some of them don't. But for Cujo, I think he just liked the camaraderie, liked that kind of interaction with players to get himself psyched up. I always remember a story, though, that he told me, and this was back when he was playing for the Detroit Red Wings and he had a place in Toronto. And he said he would drive back and forth sometimes to go back to the house and, and check things out. And coming back, if it was a snowstorm, you know, early morning on a game day, um, he said that snow hitting the window and having to really dial in and concentrate on that drive back home to the rink to, to make sure that he got there just seemed to really dial in his focus. And he said that video games, you know, he was one of the first guys I know that like video games for him, doing something that kind of triggered that mind and got that focus and attention going in that direction. Hmm. He said he felt he played much better and could see pucks coming at him a lot quicker and pick it up the reads. But just that he's an amazing individual and just a great goaltender. And I remember we were so happy to have him. The first day that he came came in to play with us, got on the ice, and I'm telling you, I don't know if he could have stopped a beach ball. I mean, I'm not joking. I, everything went by him. I mean, I think I scored 20 in practice on him, which, would, which was a world record for me. But you know what? Come game time, uh, you couldn't get a BB by him, and that was just the way he was. He just knew how to make sure that when time was right, he could put his best foot forward and, and play his best game. We're joined right now by Louis DeBrusque. Uh, joins us every Thursday on Oilers Now, a longtime NHL player and broadcaster, numerous years with the Edmonton Oilers. All right, well, uh, there you go. Hey, Louis, uh, the Oilers re-signed Gaetan Haas yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yesterday, made it official. We had him on the show. Um, give me your thoughts on... Uh, Ken Holland sort of uh, deciding to to give Haas another look-see here. Yeah, you know, I thought he showed real improvements over the course of the year. And there's no question it was a huge transition for him coming from playing over in Switzerland for so long and, and jumping right into the National Hockey League. I mean, that's, that's a massive jump. But I think as the year went on, you could see him start to develop that tenacity and that battle level and that strength. Most importantly, the strength for me. And I think, you know, when he gets into the gym, works out, and understands what he's competing against now at the national hockey level, he's, he's going to improve even more because there's just a mindset and an attitude you have to have when you go in for puck battles in the NHL. It's, it's, it's not like anywhere else. It really isn't. And Olbrin is 
in his native land of Switzerland, he would go into a corner. He said 95% of the times he was able to come out with that puck. He was very good at those one-on-one puck battles and winning them. Coming over here and playing at this level, it's a whole different animal. And you'd see him get pushed off of pucks early on. But I thought as the year went on, he started to win more of those battles and started to really show that he was developing that skill set. The other thing for me is the brains, the processor. I, I really think he has great instincts. And I, and I always felt that he was in the right position more often than not. And if you watch him play, he just had good instincts on what side of the puck to be on at the right time, be in the right place at the right time and make really good defensive plays. And that's what he was known for over in Europe, and that's what he's trying to carry forward here into the National Hockey League. So I, I don't mind the signing at all. I, I liked his progression throughout the year, and I'm good on him. Good on him for coming into an unknown situation and making uh, the best of it in his first year in North America. Louis, I compared him yesterday a bit to Derek Ryan. And the only difference is Derek came back older than, you know, mm-hmm. came back over to North America at an older age. And, you know, because Derek had played the four years in Europe after playing the four years at the U of A. And, you know, smaller right shot center. Uh, Derek played the full year in the minors, got a cup of coffee, a couple games with Carolina, then established himself in the second year. I think Derek's probably a better face-off guy. Certainly to this point has proven to be a better face-off guy. But he's not as quick as Haas. Like, Haas gives the Oilers some speed down the... Not that they, you know, they do have McDavid who can skate, but uh, just further down the lineup, some speed. But just the fact a little bit older guy coming over from Europe, let's just yeah. see where this goes because Derek Ryan's become a very useful player in the NHL. Absolutely. Uh, I, I see flashes of that, no question. I think, obviously, Derek Ryan has been more offensive, you know, in his career, but that this is early for Gaetan, so I'm sure that that's part of the game that he would like to elevate. He would like to be more offensive. And there were games in which... He was all over. It just didn't go in for him. And that's that's part of the progression, too, is getting to that next level where, number one, you believe you can make those plays, you believe you can do the things you were doing in the last league you were playing in, and then having the confidence to go in and try things at this level and not be afraid to make mistakes. And I think that was part of the progression we saw, too, because there were games where, you know, every shift he was on the ice, something happened. And it was the subtle little plays. It was a quick little four-check stealing of a puck, a little tiny play, five foot through traffic onto the stick. Like, those little plays in tight, I think, started to come more naturally for him later in the year. And, you know, you hope that he can carry it forward. You can carry it forward and uh, whenever the season either gets back this year or next year uh, continues to build on that. Where do you think the players are at with this right now? You just hit on it. Whether or not we get back this year or next year, um... Do you think there'd be an appetite to play for the players? I do. <clears throat> Excuse me. I do think there's always an appetite to play. Um, there, there, but again, I think there's there's also some uncertainty and unknown, and, and that's yeah. for everybody. And the players yeah. are no different. But you know, I think the longer that it goes, uh, I think the harder it is to try and wrap your mind around coming back and having a short training camp and getting after it. But I do think there's some positive things that are happening right now. Um, yeah that have started to maybe lean that in the right direction, in a positive direction. Uh, I don't want to get too optimistic about it, to be honest with you, Bob. I just say that there are progressions. There are things that are happening around this world that things are opening up. People are starting to take some of the restrictions off. And as that goes, and we'll see how that goes, then the next progression is to maybe maybe take another step forward. And that's that's all we can really wait for and hope for right now. But uh, I do think that it's starting to become long. Um, you know, I had a good conversation with your partner, Jack Michaels, today, actually. We just touched base on the phone. We hadn't talked for a while. And, you know, 
one of the things you brought up that I thought was really interesting, I never thought of it that way, seven weeks is probably the longest a lot of this generation of players have ever been off the ice. 100%. I never even looked at it that way. This, that was very common for us back in the day to take the summer off, hang the blades up, put the gear in the garage, pull it out, dust it off, you know, a few weeks before training camp because we knew we were going to have a month-long training camp to get ready. Not today. Players play year-round. I would, I, would, I would argue that some of these players have never taken two weeks off the ice where they haven't done some sort of on-ice training, whether it's shooting, conditioning, skating, even just go out there and play pickup and fool around. They're constantly on the ice skating. So this will be a real change for them that have been off for this long, and that's something they have to take into consideration when they come back. All right, Louie, I'm going to throw a total curveball at you. We're going to go to the Ashley Fine Floors text line. BMAC has texted the show. Hey, Bob and Louie, did you guys see the UFO footage that the Pentagon released a couple days ago? Maybe all those UFO nuts were onto something from BMAC. Louie, tell us the truth. How many times when you've been hunting, uh, without AR-15s, may I add, how many times have you been hunting where you've seen something you've gone, that's a little strange? Quite a few times, but, you know, that's, we're usually dealing in, you know, Sam Squinch, you know, territory there. You know, like uh, Sasquatch and Yetis and, you know, things like that with bears, but not UFOs typically. Yes. But, uh, I'm not going to lie, I've, I've, I've taken dives down the rabbit hole on YouTube a few times and watched footage of old <laughs> UFOs and, uh, you know, any evidence you can get. I mean, listen, it's intriguing, it's exciting, and... I don't know. I don't know if I really want to go out there on a limb and, and say anything about UFOs, but I do find it interesting, and I do find it uh, unique. And listen, I'm always for a little bit more footage to try and prove it true, and um, I'm sure I'll watch this now that you brought it up. I haven't seen it yet. You've not seen the uh, – it, no, I, I mean, I, the, I, Pentagon, the Pentagon put it out, Louie. It was on CNN. Uh, that tells you how powerful COVID is right now and the pandemic and the ongoing coverage um, that – the Pentagon releases this, and, and you haven't even seen it yet. But, yeah, CNN uh, pushed it out, I think, on Monday or Tuesday. Um, and if you really want to go on the Rabbit Hill, or Rabbit Hill, <laughs> you and me both live by Rabbit Hill. But uh, if you if you really want to go down that rabbit hole, Louis, one of these days we'll have a conversation on the two Kennedy assassinations as well, okay? Oh, wow. Well, I've done that tour in Dallas. So have um, I. You know, but to be honest, you, you bring up a good point. I, my TV set is usually off. I'm not listening to news. I kind of shut it off and got, to be quite honest with you, sick of listening to all of it. Yep. So I've kind of shut it down, and I'm surprised it hasn't come through one of my feeds on Instagram or Twitter or even just on the computer. A lot of times I'll jump on, and I will check the news from time to time. But no, I haven't seen it, but I will certainly check it out now. You open up the Pandora's very quickly on Dallas. Three shots in six seconds from that sixth floor. Uh, I know they had some... Uh, some sharp suit, uh, I believe CBS in the early 70s had sharp uh, shooting specialists attempt it, the three shots in the 5.8 seconds, and only one of the eight shooters that they got was able to do it, and it was on his third time. I've been up there, and, and i got to tell you, I have a little bit of the old BS uh, factor out there. I have a lot of doubt. I've shot rifles, <laughs> and I'm, I don't claim to be a great shot because I'm really not. I'm more into bow hunting, and I have you know, yeah. got into shooting some rifles again this year on the range. Sure. It was really cool. And accuracy is the key. You're trying to just shoot yeah. for accuracy. It's about breathing, control. In a situation like that, I, I just find that really hard to believe. A moving target, number one, the stress that would be involved in it. Yeah. But listen, it would take, it would take, as you mentioned, one of the best shooters in the world to do it. There yeah. are guys that I believe are capable of doing it, so that right there makes it possible. But 
I'll tell you, in a real life situation like that, there's some guys out there that are pretty amazing, though. That are pretty, they've honed their skill and they've done done it for a purpose. And listen, um, I'm not saying that it can't be done. I'm just saying it'd be really, really tough. Well, again, uh, and there was a, I believe it was actually an Australian production done in about 2013, and they referenced. Uh, the CBS uh, sort of, they did a reenactment with CBS, and they grabbed at that time the best eight sharpshooters in the United States. And one individual was able to do it on the third attempt, get three shots exactly. off and all the and, targets. And remember, and, I'm, and look at those old rifles were great, but they're not like the new rifles. Right. You know, it's, there's, there's, I mean, the loads, the preciseness of the loads in, in the, the casings and the powder, all that kind of stuff weights i mean there's so much that goes into it it's it really is a science but um i i honestly don't know but i'm just saying when i got up there i thought the same thing i thought you know what this should be really really tough to do that's what i thought man and, and you know what now louis you can't even go to where the window is right it's completely boxed off but back in when i went in 2001 you could go to where the window and i just i, I remember too. yeah i got to go all the way in there behind the cardboard boxes yeah yeah. And I'm thinking, man, how did, like, wow, that's, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, we've opened it up. Hey, Louie, uh, we'll hook up next week. Hang in there, man. All right, you too, bud. Stay out of that rabbit hole on Rabbit Hill. It is 1254 at Edmonton. We'll take a quick time out. This is Oilers Now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 12.56 in Edmonton. Let's get to NHL today for Elite Promotional Marketing, Billy Taylor branded programs where your order is done on time every time. Elite Promotional Marketing back in the 630 Chad studios. Here's Brendan Escott. Well, the league hopes that phase two of pandemic regulations could mean the reopening of team facilities for small group workouts in mid to late May. This is coming from a memo from Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, who... By the way, I have been feverishly working to get on the show lately. Uh, but Daly did add that uh, they need to find some way of balancing that amongst all the teams in the NHL because the pandemic is obviously a lot different in, say, Edmonton than it is right now in New York City or Toronto. Uh, the uh, Oilers did sign 21-year-old former thir- third-round pick Marcus Nemeline into a two-year entry-level contract. The Islanders did the same with last year's second-rounder Sam Bolduco to the QMJHL. And hey, Autumn McDougal Bob making some history last night, becoming the first U of A Pandas player drafted in the NWHL draft. She went 14th overall to the Buffalo Buttes. That's where Shannon Sabados plays after McDougal put up 125 points in 139 U Sports games over five years. Is Howie Draper Canada's national team coach yet for women's hockey? I'm, I'm just wondering. I mean, I know he coached the, the U22 team. Great for uh, Autumn uh, to have that happen. It is 12.58 in Edmonton and yes, now we have started a uh, lot of text coming in. Again, we brought up the Kennedy assassination because Louie and myself have actually been to the uh, sixth floor at the Texas School Book Depository going down that rabbit hole. Uh, we'll take a time out. Off to a global news weather traffic update and for Canadian Power Pack, Brian Burke when we return. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.